It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. My name is Eric Gaskell, and you are listening to the Distorted History Podcast. To speak the truth, the truth, frankly and boldly. I can give you merry tales and joyous laughter. unreasoning, unjustified terror. A long struggle for freedom. It really is a revolution. This week on Sound Stories, I'm going to change things up a bit and talk about a band's whole history. Mainly because I wanted to talk about Clutch, and there were no, as far as I could tell anyway, big significant stories surrounding the making of any of their albums. So I could have just done a bit of general history of the band and focused on a singular album, but that would have meant choosing just one, and well... I just didn't want to do that. So going forward with this Sound story series, I'll do full band history episodes like this, or specific album-focused episodes if one warrants that kind of focus. And as always, if you want to tell me what album or band to do an episode on, go to patreon.com slash distortedhistory and let me know. Now as for the topic of this episode, Clutch, if you are unfamiliar, well I cannot recommend them highly enough. Over the years, they've been labeled alternative metal, groove metal, funk metal, stoner rock, and they just call themselves hard rock. Whatever you want to call them, though, when you boil it all down, it's just fun music. It's not super depressing, and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Now, you may or may not have picked this up from past episodes, but I'm not the type to go for real upbeat music. For whatever reason, that's not how I'm wired. So why does Clutch appeal to me so much? Well, in addition to it just being good music made by a group of rock-solid musicians, it's just so damn clever I can't help but love it. If you want me to enjoy your good time music, just throw in some obscure and clever references in there, and I'm all in. Throw in a reference to Sleestacks, MJ-12, Weebles, Timothy Leary, and countless other obscure and mythological stories. I mean, there's even a song on their latest album, as of the time of this recording at least, about an infestation of lawyers in a barn speaking backwards Latin into their mobile phones. I'm sorry, but I love weird and crazy stuff like that. They even appeal to my love of history, having written songs about John Brown and having the body of John Wilkes Booth. It's also not like, hey, everybody party, everything's awesome type music. It's fun and it's upbeat, and it's oftentimes tells a story. Clutch is often called a blue-collar band because they've never had a ton of success, but they just keep cranking out new albums and touring seemingly endlessly in mostly smaller venues. They've been going for close to 30 years now and have only recently started to garner greater attention. The band first came together in 1991 in Germantown, Maryland, and consists of Neil Fallon on vocals, who was born October 25, 1971. Early on, Fallon was more of a hardcore punk-style screamer for lack of a better word, 
As time went on, though, he would grow and become more of a singer, albeit one with a gravelly voice that's unique and distinctive, not to mention a perfect fit for the music, in my opinion. According to Fallon, he also took some early inspiration from rap and hip-hop artists, meaning he was less focused on singing melodically and more focused on delivering a story rhythmically. His delivery has also been compared to that of a preacher, which I guess I can see and also fits with the video for Burning Beard. Where Neil really stands out, though, is as a lyricist. He pairs his unique voice with an equally unique and clever writing style that draws references from conspiracy theories, sci-fi books, legitimate history, mythology, and pop culture at large. Fallon draws upon his English degree and his own voracious reading habit for inspiration when it comes time to pen the lyrics to pair with the music created by his bandmates. The best way to describe his lyrical style is that he's a storyteller, or like he likes to describe himself, a professional liar because that's what he believes a storyteller is. Which to me is interesting because you see time and again in Clutch songs, the character delivering the lyrics is repeatedly an untrustful figure and oftentimes a con man trying to sell anything from the newest religion to the body of John Wilkes Booth. Neil also plays guitar in the band, more so lately it seems, but the primary guitarist in Clutch is Tim Salt. While most of the other members of the band seem to have pretty much spent their entire childhood in Maryland, Tim's family was a bit all over the place for the early years of his life, before finally settling down in Maryland, which he now considers home. From pretty early on, Tim wanted to learn how to play guitar, despite his parents not being all that into music themselves. They, however, wanted to support their son's interest, but at the time they were living in Minnesota, and there was apparently no place in the area where he could take lessons. So Tim had to wait, but by the time they made it to Maryland, there were local shops all over the place where he could be taught. Now at age 14, Tim got his first guitar out of a Sears or JCPenney catalog. His main influences in these early days were the likes of Jimmy Page, Iron Maiden, and Richie Blackmore. Outside of working for UPS as a sorter before the band became a full-time thing, not much else is known about Mr. Salt, and that's the way he likes it. The band is often described as blue-collar, and the same could be applied to Tim's guitar work. His playing is very workmanlike, meaning he's not flashy, his style is not overly complicated, he just plays solid pentatonic riffs that help drive the song forward more than they stand out. None of this should be viewed as a negative, by the way. I wouldn't put another guitarist in his place as, like all the other puzzle pieces that came together to form Clutch, he fits perfectly with the rest of the band. Honestly, it's kind of mind-boggling how prolific Salt is. Next we come to the bass player Dan Maines, who was born on March 10, 1971. According to Dan, his first love seemed to be the drums. As a child, he would listen to Led Zeppelin records and beat on his parents' furniture with drumsticks while he saved up money to buy a real set of drums. He never got those drums, but in high school he did befriend a kid who played guitar and ended up buying one of his old electrics and taking a class in school to learn how to play. Maines ended up picking up the bass by chance because when he got together with some friends trying to form a band, there was already another guy there who played the guitar, but no one to play the bass, so he picked up the instrument out of necessity, and the rest is history. Early on, Maines took his cues from guys like Bad Brains' bassist, Daryl Jennifer, who played aggressively with a pick. Over the years, though, after listening to more guys like Cream's Jack Bruce and Black Sabbath's Geezer Butler, Dan dropped the pick and played more with his fingers to achieve a more well-rounded tone. Now, you may not have heard of Dan Maines, but other bass players seem to hold him in high regard. Among these are Scott Reeder of Caius, The Obsessed, and Fireball Ministry, and Shavo from System of a Down. Last but surely not least, we come to drummer John Paul Gaster, who was born on June 19, 1971. Gaster grew up listening to and playing along with Black Sabbath, Cream, Hendrix, and ZZ Top albums. He was taught to play by famous D.C. area percussion teacher Walt Saab, who had played with the likes of Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Buddy Rich, Tony Bennett, The Supremes, and Frank Zappa. In addition to Gaster, Walt taught the likes of Allison Miller, who was played with Natalie Miller and Nora Jones. Gaster learned early on that he loved playing drums and he just seemed to want to play and get better all the time. 
he stated that he likes to study the history of the instrument and tries to expand his knowledge by listening to a lot of funk and jazz. He just plays constantly. I've seen footage of him giving lessons while on tour, and he's been known to set up his kit in a parking lot to play if the venue wasn't open yet. The story of Clutch goes back to the days when all these guys were in high school. While all four members of Clutch attended the same high school, they didn't necessarily all know one another, much less play together while they were still in school. Guitarist Tim Salt graduated a year ahead of the rest of the band, and only knew bass player Dan Maines at the time. In their senior year, Gaster and Maines teamed up with Fallon on guitar with another friend of theirs named Brian also playing guitar, and a guy named Eric singing. They called this band Moral Minority and put a couple demos together. The original singer Eric would leave the band while Brian became the new singer and Neil became basically the DJ, so they needed a new guitarist and that's when Tim joined the group. That group, however, would split up as Brian was too self-conscious to perform in front of an audience, while everyone else kind of had a I-just-don't-care-what-they-think kind of attitude. Sultan Gaster would team up with other musicians for a while and eventually asked Dan to come join them, and they then formed a band called Glut Trip with a singer named Roger. They played out a few times, but Roger didn't seem to be as into it as the other three guys, so Neil reunited with the rest of them. It was at this point that they realized slash decided that Gluttrip was a stupid name and settled on Clutch as the new band name, and they even used to tell people that it stood for City-State Liberation Union to Cleanse Humanity. But stop doing that, probably because it makes them sound like some kind of crazy terrorist group. The four of them have been together pretty much ever since. The band sees themselves as a team and as a democracy that occasionally employs a temporary dictator and a producer to make sure they get things done and sift through everything to cut out parts that don't need to be there. According to Fallon, he's convinced that the rest of them knew that this is what they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. Neil, however, never seemed to envision himself in a rock band. However, as Gaster states that they never really expected to make a living doing this in the beginning especially since their favorite bands were ones that didn't get radio airplay. They just liked doing shows, making music, and making records. When they first got together, they were heavily influenced by hardcore punk bands like Black Flag, Minor Threat, Helmet, and Bad Brains. After a while, you will see these influences fade more into the background as other influences like funk and the blues rise more to the fore over the years. They are, however, still inspired by their earliest influences, Vocalist Neil Fallon would even lend his voice to a cover of Black Flag's American Waste for the benefit record Rise Above that was released in 2002 to help pay for the legal cost of the West Memphis Three. Clutch's first show together was in August of 1991 in an outdoor show in Washington, D.C. In those days, they were part of what was then a very active hardcore scene and community which made it easy to get and trade shows with other bands. They started touring pretty early on with trips to Richmond, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Boston, and even Detroit. Clutch were embraced by the hardcore community, but still kind of stood out even back then, which garnered attention. Some of this attention came from a small label out of Delaware that approached the band and proposed they do a project together. The result of this project was a four-song debut EP titled Pitchfork that came out in 1991. Only a few hundred copies were released in the U.S., but it still made its way around the country and started to get the band noticed. The Pitchfork album was super rare until it was re-released in 2005 as Pitchfork and Lost Needles, which features a mix of the old hardcore clutch that existed in 1991, some demos, and two newer unreleased B-sides, Bottoms Up Socrates and What Would a Wookiee Do, which seems to be from the Robot Hive Exodus recordings which, if I'm honest, are the only two songs off that album that I come back to with any frequency. While it's interesting to hear where they came from and how they started out, and if this had been my first exposure to the band, I probably would have dug it more, but in the end, it's not what I'm looking for when I want to listen to some Clutch. It's not that it's bad, it's just that there are so many other Clutch records that are fuller realizations of their vision and are much more interesting to listen to, in my opinion. 
After Pitchfork, the band would record and release another 7-inch titled Passive Restraints, which would be re-released in 1997 as Impetuous. These initial two releases paired with their constant gigging helped them to build a significant underground following. Then when the band went to see a Corrosion of Conformity show, they managed to hand COC drummer Reed Mullen a copy of their 7-inch singles. Mullen would pass the singles along to a guy named James Grawl, who had a fanzine in Kansas, who also happened to have a contact with Earache Records, since they advertised in his publication. So Earache came calling, but they weren't the only one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. East-West Records, part of the Atlantic Records label, also expressed interest in the band, so the band had a choice to make. But Clutch, after hearing from some other bands that were signed with Earache, who apparently didn't have a lot of good things to say about how the label was run, opted to sign with East-West Records instead. Their debut LP, after being signed by a major label, was 1993's Transnational Speedway League. They wanted the record to sound like the Melvins, so they went to the Razor's Edge recording studio in San Francisco, where the Melvins had made a lot of their records. Also, now that they were signed with a major label, they felt like they should work with a producer that the label selected instead of sticking with Larry Packer and Uncle Punchy Studios, who they had worked with on all of their earlier releases. This session featured a lot of slower, emotionally heavy songs in the vein of the Melvins and the Swans, Neil, however, was burned out by this experience, so when they had a second session in New York, the music was faster and Fallon wrote lyrics that were less emotional and had more of a sense of humor. This second session was a revelation for Fallon, who found it much easier to just tell a story than to try to mine some kind of emotional baggage. From this point on, this would be the shape of his lyrics. Instead of copying the style of others, he chose to become an offbeat storyteller. The album would be released in August of 1993, and they would support it by releasing a video of the first track off the album, A Shogun Named Marcus. This was probably the earliest exposure most had of the band, and it was helped in no small part by appearing on Beavis and Butthead, apparently garnering the duo's approval in the process. If you listen to it now, it's apparent that the band as a whole, and Fallon in particular, hadn't yet found their voice. Neil was screaming and growling at this point more than anything, yet it still clearly displays the band's offbeat sense of humor, as it's a song about a seemingly unhinged, self-identified redneck samurai. It's even been suggested that the song helped to influence Sepultura's Roots album after the two bands toured together while Clutch was supporting this album. All in all, it's a much angrier album than pretty much everything else in their catalog. There's more of an edge to their sound here. I mean, rumor has it that Binge and Purge was dropped from the band's set list for years because it too often led to outbreaks of violence in the crowd. That's not to say they're not heavy on later albums, but this really was the last time they went down this kind of path. As the next album the band would release was 1995 self-titled album, which from the opening bass rift of the nautically-themed Big News 1 and laid-back drum beat that accompanies it, the album almost sounds like it's made by a completely different band. The band really seems to find their footing here on this album. It really feels like they find their own sound for the first time. The songs tend to have a slower groove as they move away from the more hardcore punk and metal sound from their earlier releases. As a result, they started to be more often labeled as stoner rock thanks to this slower, more groove-oriented focus. While this may have been surprising for fans at the time, when you look at the history of the band now, this is the least surprising thing ever. Clutch has changed their sound quite a bit over the years while still maintaining certain core aspects that make their music easily identifiable nonetheless which makes sense and it's still the same four guys playing the same instruments and singing. One reason for this change in sound 
was in between Transnational Speedway and the writing of this self-titled album, the band rediscovered classic rock. Previously, they had listened purely to hardcore punk and metal for some time. By adding in these new old influences to their music, Clutch added more swing and more riffs to their sound. Also explaining the sonic change was the fact that the band reunited with Larry Packer at Uncle Punchy's studio, who'd worked with them in the past. When recording Transnational Speedway, the band had said the process felt rushed, so for the second album they decided to go back to what felt comfortable. It paid off, and Parker would work with them again throughout their career on albums like Pure Rock Fury, Jam Room, Slow Hold to China, and Robot Hive Exodus. It sounds as though not everyone was down with their new change of direction. Fans of their first album, who were likely expecting more straight-ahead aggression, upon hearing the slow, atmospheric space grass, according to the band members, responded by crossing their arms or just flipping off the band while they played. For me, though, I personally love this album from the first track Big News 1 all the way through the ending instrumental Tim Salt vs. The Greys. I don't have anything bad to say about any of the tracks. From the hypnotizing heaviness of rock and roll outlaw to the sheer insanity of songs like Texas Book of the Dead, which references the Witch Doctor song when describing the mantra contained within its pages. Other standouts include Escape from the Prison Planet, the aforementioned slow atmospheric space grass, the groovy tight like that, which seems to be a story about a slick fast-talking preacher, a song titled I Have the Body of John Wilkes Booth about a desperate fisherman telling his latest tall tale of his latest catch, and Animal Farm, which is a bit of a throwback to their earlier work, but is still loaded with crazy alien conspiracy theory references. Self-titled album garnered the band some mainstream exposure, and this grassroots success led them to sign with Columbia, who like a lot of labels at the time were desperately searching for the next Nirvana. This partnership led to the creation and release in 1998 of their next full-length album titled Elephant Riders. Signing with Columbia meant more changes for the band. It garnered them both a significant increase in the recording budget and the increased interference from the label that came along with that budget. Columbia had certain expectations and weren't shy about meddling with the band and their output. The band didn't know this at the time, however, and just went to writing and recording the album that would become Elephant Riders in an old house in West Virginia that Stonewall Jackson had once stayed at. From what I can tell, after finishing the album, it was presented to Columbia, who rejected it for some reason or another. They then forced the band to re-record the album in New York under the supervision of prominent classic rock producer Jack Douglas. This likely cost the label quite a bit of money, basically guaranteeing that the album would not be seen as a financial success because they decided to record it twice. This is made even more disappointing after reading a 1997 article from the Washington City paper by Lisa Nader where she visits the band in their West Virginia lodgings. In it, the band talks about how it's nice to get back to doing things that felt comfortable and not worrying about listening so much to the advice of the label after going down that path resulted in the first album that they weren't overly happy with. Little did they know at the time that the label would mess with their vision again and force them to completely re-record their music with a different producer. This is actually the first Clutch album that I bought after hearing the title track years after its initial release. It's your typical Clutch song, fuzzy guitar, driving rhythm section, and weird lyrics inspired by their closeness to Civil War sites like Harper's Ferry and Antietam. Some believe that Elephant Riders was a reference to the King of Siam offering Abraham Lincoln elephants to use in the conflict. However, that was not the case. While the elephant story is real history, the title track of the album is actually based upon a drawing that Neil had done of a Civil War soldier riding a dinosaur. The problem was that when he went to write the lyrics, he realized that all dinosaur names had too many syllables in them. So he replaced the dinosaur with what he thought was another improbable oversized animal. It's just a coincidence that there was in fact an actual historical tale that could be connected to his lyrics. In addition to that song, other standout tracks on the album include The Soap Makers, which is a trippy, riff-heavy song that was inspired by some encounter that they had while staying in rural West Virginia. I actually stumbled across the video for this song while doing the research for this episode. I say that because prior to now, I had no idea that there was a video for this song and it's the most 90s thing I've seen for a long time. 
It just feels like the label was desperate to make them look like the next big mainstream rock or grunge band. It's all quick cuts and filters over a live performance, and it looks just like about half of the 90s hard rock videos you can think of. There is also The Yeti, a song about the snowy Himalaya mountains and encountering, well, The Yeti and The Dragonfly, which is an ominous sounding song about everyday insects in the spring that contains lines like, Pity the mate of Queen Mantis, so content but so headless. And two of the potential bonus tracks also stand out. There's Alt 5 with its banjo parts and lyrics that conjure up a bygone era of coal mining and the disasters inherent in the occupation. And David Rose, which is a largely about John Brown and his raid on Harper's Ferry, which, yeah, delights me. I think it's interesting that despite this being the first Clutch album that I bought, it's not one of my favorites. I usually have a bit of a soft spot for my first exposure to something. Like, say, I like Reload because it was my first Metallica album. Now, since getting into their backlog, I love Puppets, Justice, and Lightning way more, but I don't hate the Load-slash-Reload era like some fans who were with them from the beginning do. With Elephant Riders, though, it's got a couple of good songs on there, and some that I'm just not drawn to for whatever reason. I also find it interesting that I really like the bonus tracks, and wonder if they're only being included as bonuses and not part of the album proper is a result of Columbia's meddling. Much to the label's disappointment, Clutch, despite being lumped in with the new metal and rap rock crowd, something that the band itself didn't appreciate, they never broke through to mainstream success like Contemporaries, Korn, and the Deftones. This was especially disappointing for Columbia after they needlessly spent so much money re-recording an album that had already been recorded. Strange, it's almost like they were to blame for this, but corporations are blameless holy creatures, incapable of being wrong. Well, never mind about that, because the end result of this is that Columbia dumped Clutch off their label. This didn't stop the band, or even slow them down all that much, as they would release 1999's Jam Room on their own River Road Records. After their latest major label experience, the band wanted more control over what they were doing. The only problem was trying to directly sell and send CDs to people was a bit too much for the band to handle at the time. So after this album, they would go back to working with other labels. Personally to me, this feels like a less focused effort than a lot of their other recordings. Which is understandable. It seems like they just wanted to go back to doing their own thing, without some suits from the label who didn't understand the band or its fan base interfering. It feels like a band working on its demons from the previous years, by just jamming together in a room. You get to hear Clutch stretching their musical legs a bit more while experimenting a bit with additional instruments. Ultimately, I say it was a bit of a preview of where the band would go on their next group of albums. Standout tracks on this release include Basket of Eggs. It's a kind of bluesy, slow burner type of song. I just love the intro riff of it and the whole atmosphere they create with this track. And then there is Big Fat Pig, which is about a neighborhood consisting of residents identified by their different religions and includes this exchange between Norman the Mormon and Simon the Super Scientologist, quote, Norman says to Simon, hey, if there are really aliens, I would think that L. Ron Hubbard would have to be one of them. In Release of the Kraken, it's practically a lesson on Greek mythology set to music. The album also features One-Eyed Dollar, but I prefer the version that they re-recorded for 2007's From Beale Street to Oblivion. Atlantic would approach the band in the early 2000s, and sign them apparently convinced that the band would quote-unquote blow up. Meanwhile, the members of Clutch were much more cautiously optimistic. The results of this partnership would be 2001's Pure Rock Fury. There seems to be a bit of a divide within the band in regards to this recording. Drummer John Paul Gaster has the title tattooed on his arm, while vocalist Neil Fallon considers it his least favorite of their albums. This was largely recorded once again by Uncle Punchy, but it also includes a few tracks that were produced by a guy who goes by Machine, who was a New Jersey-born record producer. This was the first time Machine and Clutch would interact, and it was apparently the result of a label AR guy throwing them together. Now, none of them seemed to expect the songs to actually make the record, but they did. For Machine's part, he really enjoyed his time with them, so much so that he would beg the band to work with them again. And they would. Machine would go on to produce 
Blast Tyrant, Earth Rocker, and Psychic Warfare for the band. He prides himself on finding what's unique or great about an artist and focusing on that in his recordings. For Clutch, they seem to feel that Machine is a guy who gets and understands them, so they trust and like working with him. This first encounter, though, was a little unusual for the band because Machine had a different approach to recording than what they were using. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, Hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Used to. They had never recorded each instrument individually before, but that's how Machine worked. Now, unlike Neil Fallon, I love this album. This is another one of their records where I can't say that there's a bad track on the whole thing. From the opening feedback on American Sleep to the tavern drinking song Drink to the Dead and the live recording of Spacecraft that ends the album, there isn't a track that I would recommend you skip. Pure Rock Fury also features some guest appearances from their heroes like Wino of the Obsessed and St. Vitus, who plays a solo on Red Horse Rainbow and plays guitar on Brazenhead, which was recorded live. They are also paid a visit by Leslie West of Mountain, who plays on the song Immortal, which started life as Baby I'm Down, a track on West's debut album Mountain which also shares the name of his later band, which is now recognized as a forerunner of heavy metal. Clutch rearranged Baby I'm Down and wrote new lyrics for it calling this version of the song Immortal, which West and Mountain would then cover and rearrange for their 2002 album Mystic Fire, so they covered a cover version of a song he originally wrote. This album also features the tongue-in-cheek rap Careful With That Mic, which was just a goof by Fallon that he never expected would ever see the light of day. Yet everyone who heard it liked it, and thus it made the album. Despite suggestions otherwise, Clutch weren't trying to capitalize on the whole rap-rock thing. At most, it was a commentary on the genre, poking a bit of fun at it. Careful with that, Mike garnered some radio airplay, but ultimately didn't lead to much additional success otherwise, which probably played a role in the band releasing no more albums through Atlantic Records. Next up, they released a collection of rarities titled Slow Hold to China through their River Road Records. Now, while Slow Hold to China is a collection of unreleased songs that had been bootlegged over the years, this isn't like a lot of unreleased collections where you can tell pretty quickly why these songs were never released. Usually, either the production is bad or the songs are just not that good or some part of it's clearly lacking, but that's not the case here. If you didn't know any better, you'd be well within your rights to think that this was just a normal mainline clutch release. It's that good. Quality-wise, I think it's top to bottom better than Jam Room, and it's another album where I recommend every single track on it. With that being said, some of my personal favorites off this collection are Nickel and Dime, a song about colonization, imperialism, manifest destiny, and the cost of progress, from the first landing in America through a fictional landing on Jupiter's moon Europa, all set to a frankly kicking drum beat. There is also Oregon, which is the first slower song on the album that kicked off with the title track and kept pace with both Nickel and Diamond Sea of Destruction. This track was inspired by a Spider-Man comic Neil received as a child titled Spider-Man vs. Draco and the Dragon Men. To the best of his recollection, Draco was just a cosmic con man, and that's the perspective the song takes. It's about this alien lizard man, Grifter, trying to find some place that he could call home. He's tried a couple of places, including Oregon, which was too weird for him, so he settles on heading down to Central America, where his ancestors had been worshipped as gods. The song also includes a reference to the Aztec snake god Quetzalcoatl. Look, I told you this was some weird stuff. Why are you only objecting now? 
Another standout track on this album is titled Guild of Mute Assassins, which in addition to having one of the coolest song titles and concepts that I've ever heard of, has a drum beat that you have to tap your foot and nod your head along with. Also on this album, they do a great cover of John Coltrane's Equinox. Slow Home to China was an album that for quite some time was only available through the band's website, and you could only get a hold of it if it was listed on their web store. As it turned out, I was lucky enough to go looking one time when it was actually available, and was able to get my hands on a copy. Since then, however, it's been re-released and is much more easier to get your hands on and has additional tracks as well. This is another one that I would recommend you go and check out if you're at all interested in them. Now, the partnership with Atlantic obviously didn't last long, because the very next album that would receive mass release after Pure Rock Fury is 2004's Blast Tyrant, which was done through DRT Records. For this recording, they reunited with Machine and his Manic Methods. I say that because I've watched a video of them with him, and he's super high energy and super passionate about the music, while they are by comparison super laid back and almost silent. It's actually really fun to see. He really seems to love and understand the band. Clutch has to describe Blast Tyrant as a loose concept record in the style of Dark Side of the Moon, by which they mean they don't want things to be too heavy-handed and turn into something akin to a Broadway musical. Instead, the songs are loosely connected or work off of a theme. So what is that concept or story of the album? I'm going to be honest, as someone who is doing a podcast that includes episodes that are 100%, here's the story behind this thing, I really have no idea. As best I can tell, there's a story across a couple of songs that is about a demonic creature named Worm Drink, who abandons his nation's military because he's sick of war and is chased for his desertion. He's aided at some point by a young girl who heals him and is called a witch because of this and put on trial for her actions. How some of the other tracks fit in with this story? I don't know. Blast Tyrant kicks right off with the band playing a heavy riff which goes through several permutations for over a minute before Neil finally chimes in as he cries out Daedalus, your child is falling and the labyrinth is calling and you begin to realize what kind of ride you're going to be in for. It's overall a really hard-rocking album, but it pulls in characteristics from a bunch of other sources to create this really cool and interesting whole that is in a lot of ways to me definitive clutch. Gaster and Mains provide the songs with a swing and a bit of funk feel, while Salt overlays that with a heavily fuzz guitar tone playing blues and southern rock-tinged riffs. Then Fallon comes in singing about anything and everything, from dead soldiers' bodies being returned from war in The Mob Goes Wild, to the Greek myth of the hunter Acteon, who somehow offended the goddess of the hunt Artemis, and for his offense, turned him into a stag that was killed by his own dogs. Fallon, even on this album, seems to weave a myth of his own, as he tells the tale of the demonic deserter on songs like Worm Drink, Army of Bono, In the Wake of the Swollen Goat, and notes from the trial of La Corandera. Then there are songs that I don't know how they fit in, like the upbeat toe-tapper Subtle Hustle, with lines like, I cause eclipses with a wave of a hand, let them hang in ellipses, and do it all again. Then there are a couple standout tracks because they're so different from anything Clutch has done in the past, like Eulogy for a Ghost, which opens up with an acoustic guitar strumming some open minor chords, which helps to give the whole song this melancholic tone and atmosphere that it maintains throughout. And then there's the country blues-tinged Regulator, a song that got its start as Neil was trying to learn how to play Skip James's Devil Got My Woman. As he worked on it with the band, it became a Clutch song, but it kept a sorrowful tone in keeping with the source material that was totally unlike a normal Clutch song. The problem was, Fallon wasn't used to writing lyrics to a song with that kind of tone and weight to it. He would eventually be inspired by the tale of Odysseus returning home in the Odyssey to find numerous suitors trying to seduce his wife. So he wrote the song about a character returning home from a long time on the road to find a similar kind of scene. The keyboards that are added to the sound of the bluesy final track hint at where they would go with their next couple of albums, when they add keyboardist Mick Shower as a full-time member of the band. The first of these albums came out the very next year in 2005. This next album, Robot Hive Exodus and Blast Tyrant are two of my favorite Clutch albums. 
They both kind of knocked my socks off the first time I heard them, and I don't think any of their releases since have had quite the same impact on me. Which again does not mean they're not good albums, not by a long shot, just that I personally hold these two releases above all the others. I don't know if they're necessarily their best albums, but for whatever reason they're the ones I connected to the most. For Robot Hive Exodus, in addition to adding Mick, they changed the sound a bit by switching up producers, leaving machines in tense ways that tended to strip down a song to its most important parts. For Jay Robbins, who let the band stretch their legs a bit more and do their own thing. Robbins plays less of a role in shaping the music than Machine does, and instead just focused on figuring out the best way to record what they were coming up with. And make no mistake, despite adding a whole new member of the band, and a whole new instrument that helped expand the sonic palette of the band, but I'll do my best to pick out a couple of highlights for the sake of this podcast. Burning Beard is a kind of crazy little song that they made a video for. It's based around this odd time riff, and experiencing the madness of the character in the song that wraps everything he has in aluminum, and thinks every time he opens his window, the same three dogs are staring back at him. It's heavily inspired by Philip K. Dick's 1981 sci-fi novel Valis, where it bars the line, Pink Race from the Ancient Satellites, and the concept of reality and unreality or insanity colliding. Some other standouts on this album include Mice and Gods, a song warning about the heedless headlong race into the future without thinking about the consequences, with rallying cries, Damn Tomorrow, Future Now, that ultimately leads to the final verse that paints the picture of an empty city returning to the sands. Then there is Never Be Moved, where Neil takes on the role of a preacher addressing his congregation. He starts out by calling out some of his brethren, who are, quote, little more than next of kin to the sleestack the wicked one who makes a meal of our sins. Then I believe he takes on the voice of the congregation that despite this, they refuse to move with what's happening. The song, however, reaches its climax with the declaration of Good St. Charles Darwin wrote his gospel down and calling on the people to get their evolution on. Now I can't decide whether that's my favorite track or the next one, 100011101. And leave it to Neil Fallon to create a catchy chorus out of the binary. It doesn't actually translate to anything, it just works rhythmically. Later on in the album, Neil also plays the ringmaster of otherworldly and supernatural oddities in Circus Maximus before the band gives in to their growing fascination with classic blues. The final two tracks of Robot Hive Exodus are covers of Mississippi Fred McDowell's Gravel Road and Howlin' Wolf's Who's Been Talking. Their fascination with the blues continues with the title of the next record, 2007's From Beale Street to Oblivion, which is a reference to the famous blues center in Memphis, Tennessee. For this album, the band had already written and played all the songs live in front of audiences on the road, so all they had to do in the studio then was put on their best performance and not worry about the writing process whatsoever. Despite its name, From Beale Street to Oblivion is not a blues album or even an album purely inspired by the blues. The first track on the album, You Can't Stop Progress, proves this, as according to the vocalist Neil Fallon, it's a clear sign that 20 years after first hearing Bad Brains, Clutch was still being influenced by them. Other notable tracks on this album include Devil and Me, written from the point of view of God calling out his old friend the Devil for all the betrayals and the Devil, as a result, deciding to go back to Tennessee and Beale Street. There is also the rapture of Ridley Walker, which takes its inspiration from the novel Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban about a world post a nuclear disaster, I think. It's been a minute since I read it because of the song. From Beale Street to Oblivion also features a re-recorded One-Eyed Dollar that originally appeared on Jam Room. Neil changed up his delivery on the lyrics for the better in my opinion. One-Eyed Dollar then flows naturally into the next and most notable song on the album, Electric Worry, which is a kind of partial cover of Mississippi Fred McDowell's Fred's Worried Blues. Electric Worry has since become a staple on their live set list since touring with Motorhead. According to Fallon, he was approached by Lemmy one day who asked why they weren't playing the song. When Fallon replied that they were tired of it, Lemmy was flabbergasted saying, That's your ace of spades! which is Motorhead's most famous song. Fallon, of course, was blown away by this comparison, and it's been a consistent part of their live set ever since. The final track on the record, Mr. Shiny Cadillacness, was a response to the political climate of the day, which featured an unwarranted, unjustified, and unending war in the Middle East, 
which is such a colossal mistake we never do anything like that again. Oh, wait. Neil usually wanted to stay away from politics, but couldn't at this point. At the same time, he didn't want to write a protest song, so he wrote a song that included the line, Tell me why Dick Cheney underneath my bed, tending to the lips of a shrunken head, as the song talks about convincing families to sacrifice their children. We leave that colorful image behind as we move on to June 2008, when Clutch start their own label called Weathermaker. After years of having record labels that didn't really get them or know what to do with them, Clutch finally decided to just do it themselves. Their earlier attempts at this had proven too difficult, but they learned enough over the years and the world had changed enough that it was a good idea to just go their own way now. They could now make the records they wanted to make at the pace they wanted to make them in without a record company who didn't quite get their music telling them what to do and when. Their first release on their own label would be 2009's Strange Cousins from the West. As I'm listening back to this album for this episode, I'm hearing a lot of blues influences right off the back. There's a Delta Blues style slide work to open the album on Motherless Child, and this carries over into Struckdown, whose guitar riff bears quite a bit of blues influence in its own right, and the lyrics follow a bit of the AAB blues structure with repeating lines followed by a response. Yes, I just finished writing a series on the history of the blues that will start coming out next month. Why do you ask? There's even a cover of Argentine blues band Papo's song, Ago Ha Camiado, sung entirely in Spanish by Fallon after trying a version in English that didn't sound quite right. The blues influence, I think, even carries over into the last song, Slee Stack Lightning, which I believe is a reference to Howlin' Wolf's Smokestack Lightning. This album also continues the band's fascination with the Civil War, with the standout song Abraham Lincoln, which opens up with a military-like rolling snare drum beat and focuses on the assassination of Lincoln by Booth, who Fallon refers to as the assassin, the serpent, the actor, and the coward who will receive no grave, which he contrasts with Lincoln sitting in the temple watching people climbing the stairs, in reference to the Lincoln Memorial that is in the style of an ancient Greek temple. Another standout track on this album is titled Minotaur, and was written around Halloween, so Neil was inspired by a lot of horror, in particular Clive Barker's short story Midnight Meat Train from his books of Blood Collection, which was itself a reworking of the Minotaur story, of beasts living underneath a city having to be periodically fed with blood. Fallon has also stated that he drew inspiration from Thomas Ligotti's Lovecraftian Teatro Grotesco, as for the song itself, it is written from the perspective of the residents of the city with a monstrous minotaur living beneath it, but they're more concerned with having to deal with their strange visitors from the west. The song is driven by the low, thumping, ominous bass line, while the guitar pops in here and there, adding equally ominous little riffs over top of it. Then in 2013, Clutch released what would be their most popular album to date as Earth Rocker debuted at 15 on the Billboard Top 100. There's a lot less of a blues influence on this record, and it's more of just straight-ahead rock. This is partially a result of working with producer Machine again. He helped them strip down their sound to only the most essential parts. Don't assume, though, that this is Machine meddling with their sound. They've stated that the main inspiration for this direction on the album was the result of them touring with both Motorhead and Thin Lizzy. Hearing these two bands perform night in and night out reminded the members of Clutch of the rock music they grew up with. They were especially inspired by being around Lemmy, who Gaster called the most blue-collar rock and roller there is. Clutch is often referred to as a blue-collar band, and being around probably the greatest band to garner that label in Motorhead impacted the direction their next album would take. This experience also reminded the band that there just really wasn't much of that type of music coming out these days, so they wanted to rectify that. This more straight-ahead focus may be why, despite its popularity, it's not one of my favorites. It's not quite as odd as some of their other efforts, and that's what I typically look for in my Clutch albums. It also may be that I don't have as much of a connection with these newer albums because I haven't spent as much time with them as I have with the older albums. Either way, the standout tracks for me include the one slow track, Gone Cold, which was added when they realized they needed to give listeners a break from the pace they had set so far on the record. Usually as Clutch is constructing one of their albums, they find they need to add a faster song to pick things up, 
but the opposite was the case this time around. Gong called is very laid back with a very soft backing drum beat behind a slow bass line and an acoustic guitar that plays a bluesy little licks here and there. The other track that I really love off this album is The Face, which actually comes up next and is a mid-tempo song especially when compared to the rest of the album. It talks about 1,000 Les Pauls burning in a field and a thousand jazz masters being thrown into the sea because of individuals claiming you're going to lose your soul. When writing the lyrics of this track, according to Neil, he was inspired by the ACDC song Let There Be Rock and reflecting on the history of people burning Beatles records and the like just because they disagree with the music or the people who made it. I also happen to really love the bridge riff here as well. Clutch Experience continued success with their 2015 release Psychic Warfare, which would reach number one on the rock charts. For this album, they once again reunited with longtime producing partner Machine in his new studio in Texas, which allowed them to play together more this time around, instead of recording purely individually. The writing process for this album was relaxed and took some time, as it would just come together and throw out a bunch of riffs. When they found ones they all digged on, the band would focus on these and create a few songs. They would then head out on the road playing the songs live. Then when they came back, they would take what they learned into the studio and repeat the same process all over again. What resulted was something of a loose concept album similar to Blast Tyrant and Robot Hive. This happened unintentionally. When Fallon was writing the lyrics, he was five or six songs in before he recognized there was a kind of common theme going on. Psychic Warfare was partially inspired by stays in dodgy motels in their early touring days. According to Neil, many people who stay in these roadside motels are on the edge of society, so those places are home of the kind of paranoia and delusion that the album is about. As a result, Psychic Warfare has quite a bit of that clutch weirdness that I felt wasn't as present in Earth Rocker that draws me to it more than Earth Rocker did. Some of its standout tracks include Doom Saloon, which sounds like it should be on the soundtrack of some western and works as an intro to Our Lady of Electric Light, which is a slow, bluesy, classic rock kind of song that conjures up images of a dreary saloon. Then there's more heavy rocking songs like Decapitation Blues. It has just an absolutely great riff that makes you bang your head, which is what inspired the lyrics because when Neil first heard the riff, he started banging his head something he's not supposed to do since he had to have surgery to repair his neck thanks to banging his head so violently on stage for years. Clutch then backs off the tempo for the slow country blues stylings of the final track Son of Virginia, that after laying back for two and a half minutes, kicks up for a rocking chorus. The song also has a great opening verse, which talks about an old blind dog wandering around the graveyard, which quote, wouldn't have bothered me so much were he not walking on his hind legs and smoking cigars. That for me is like, okay, where are we going this time, guys? They would follow up Psychic Warfare in 2018 with their 12th and as of this recording latest studio album, Book of Bad Decisions. Like most of their albums nowadays, Clutch had begun putting together new material since Psychic Warfare was released. As a result, according to Tim Salt, they had more ideas than usual, so they took more time putting this album together, which is why it ended up being 15 tracks in length. Also, since they road-tested so many of these songs on stage before heading into the studio, they wanted to give the album much more of a live feel, capturing the vibe of their concerts. Which is why they hooked up with Vince Powell, who cut his teeth for many years doing live sound. So Vance set them up in his Nashville studio so he could record them playing together like it was a live setting instead of tracking everything individually. He even went with them on the road a few times to get a feel for what a clutch show was like so he could capture that in the studio. The guy seemed to really like his approach because it was easier to capture the energy with all of them playing in the same room together instead of sitting in a room listening to a recording of the other guys playing. As a result, it feels a bit like some of the older Clutch records in that regard, as that's how they originally recorded their albums, I believe. The album opens up with the track Gimme the Keys, which is a song about their disastrous first tour where half of their scheduled shows didn't actually happen. The specific incident the song is about happened at a gig where they played in a cornfield in Kansas with a bunch of hardcore bands under the hot sun. As a result, most of the bands just wanted to play and get out of there, 
Clutch ended up going on last and were then falsely accused of stealing a $100 mic by the security who even went as far as threatening the band with guns. Another of the standout tracks on this record comes up next with Spirit of 76. This song references numerous events from 1976, from Keith Moon having to be hospitalized after performing at Madison Square Garden, Patty Hearst being jailed, and the Flyers defeating the Soviet Red Army hockey team. On Book of Bad Decisions, Clutch and especially Gaster purposely set out to have more tempo variations between songs this time around. They wanted to have some songs faster than what they usually play, and songs that were slower, like Emily Dickinson, and the final track on the album, Lorelei, which I think can only be described as haunting. The dynamics in this song in particular are amazing. I love the swing from the quiet, slow, haunting verse to the chorus as Neil cries out Lorelei, which is a reference to a German myth of a mermaid or siren-type figure who lures ships to crash against the rocks. There is also the standout track Ghoul Wrangler, which I referenced at the beginning of this episode about zombie-like lawyers occupying a barn speaking backwards Latin into their cell phones, which is another upbeat rocking song and I absolutely love the breakdown riff where Neil cries out, 13 bloody litigators feasting on the hog, my god Mabel we've got lawyers in the barn. So as they approach 30 years together, Clutch seems to be carrying on as strong as ever. Although I do believe Neil has had a couple of strange medical emergencies in the last year or so, but from his social media post did not seem to think they were a huge deal, and I hope that this is the case. Somehow, in addition to the albums I've already covered, these prolific musicians have multiple side projects as well. They all are a part of an instrumental blues jam band, the Bakerton Group, that they also publish through the Weathermaker label. Gaster, meanwhile, has also played on two of Five Horse Johnson's albums. Neil Fallon has also had two side projects, and they are both quite good. The first was called The Company Band, which also featured guitarist James A. Rota of Fireball Ministry and David Bone, Fu Manchu bassist Brad Davis, and CKY drummer Jesmar Jera, who started the band. Fallon was also involved in Dunsmere, a band where he reunited with Dave Bone and Brad Davis from the company band, and this time are joined by Vinnie Apice, who played with Dio, Black Sabbath, and Heaven and Hell. Together they released a full-on concept album about the crew of a scientific expedition that discovered the Cthulian Island and the horrors found there. In all this, I also didn't include their five live albums that are a glimpse at their live performances. Clutch is one of those bands that you can see live time and again as their set list changes each night as it's written by a different member of the band in a rotating system, which allows them to pull from their deep catalog of songs. And with that, I'm going to wrap up my coverage of Clutch. If you are unfamiliar with them, but are somewhat interested, I highly suggest you go check them out. If you're unsure of where to start, I'd say give a listen to a bit off of a couple of their albums because the sound does switch up quite a bit from one to the next. So while one may not speak to you, the next one might. Thank you for listening to Distorted History. Please rate and review the podcast, that really helps. Also, if you want to tell me what you want me to research, or if you want to feel special and get episodes a week before everyone else, go to patreon.com slash distortedhistory. So if you have a specific episode topic you want me to cover, be it lore, an album, a band, or even a historic topic, the best way to get me to go down that rabbit hole is to go to patreon.com slash distortedhistory. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at distortedhistory minus the Y, which is also where I post all the sources for this and all the other episodes. Links are in the description. Thank you once again for listening. Until next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.